Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
seated. Uh, If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at the account found there with the story of the Magi, or what is traditionally, uh, they're traditionally referred to as the wise men, right? And this is a time when they were arriving to worship Jesus. Matthew 
chapter 2. Would you stand in honor of God's word? Here we go, slide 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, speak to our hearts. Soften our hearts, Lord. You have right of way to say and do as you please, Lord. We just give you all honor. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now these magi find themselves in a story that has been prophesied long before. Herod, right, when he learns that they've come to worship this king, he gathers the church leaders who understand the scriptures, who are familiar with the prophecy, and he asks them, where will this king be born? They tell him that he'll be born in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I think you're a slide behind. Now, in your Bible, there's probably going to be a number or a letter right after verse 6. I don't know if you have that or in the, in the columns, uh, maybe in the margins. Tied to that is what's going to be called a cross-reference. In Scripture, there are over 300,000 of these instances where something is mentioned in one part of the Bible that ties into a, another part of the Scripture, and it relates to something different there. Uh, what is cross-referenced here is Micah 2, 5-2 and 5-4. Matthew is quoting the prophecy of the prophet Micah, which was spoken 700 years before. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And the start of verse 4 says, he will stand and shepherd his flock. Now, have you ever wondered about the people who heard this prophecy 700 years ago uh, from the prophet Micah? Imagine when they heard this, they were excited, right? Hey, there is a ruler coming, a ruler coming that will shepherd the people of Israel. But then a few years pass, 
And then a few more years pass, and no ruler. And then a decade, and then another decade, right? And maybe they start wondering, does this Micah know what he's talking about? Did he really hear this from God, or was this just from him, right? A hundred years, 200 years, still no ruler, still it doesn't happen. 700 years pass. We haven't even been a nation, right, for 700 years. I don't know if we can comprehend the amount of time that, that passes before this is fulfilled. But on this day, right, Matthew is linking it all together. On this day, God comes through with his promises. What he said he was going to do 700 years before, he now has done. This picture is uh, one of my favorite pictures that I have. It's hanging in my office if you ever want to see it. Uh, If you notice, there are many lines on it. Each line represents one of those cross-references. One of those times where one scripture speaks to something and then it ties to another piece of scripture. If you see along the bottom, those are all the chapters in the Bible, starting with Genesis 1 and going to Revelation 22. That that long one in the middle is in Psalms. Uh, It's Psalm I can't remember, 97 maybe. It's the the longest psalm in the Bible, and that's why it's so long. But you can see how Scripture is tied together, right, with those cross-references. That picture has 63,779 cross-references. You could say maybe those are all just coincidences, right? That's what some people think. But to me, those are... 63,779 times that the promises of God were answered. My friends, you and I can have confidence in the Word of God because we can have confidence in the God of the Word, right? I hope today that you remember that the same God represented here is also cross-referencing your life. You may be at the start of an ark. You may be wondering, why is this thing happening in my life? You might not see the end of the ark, but he does. He sees it all. He sees what he's doing. He sees the role that you're going to play, right? There may be a time in your future story, right, where you come to realize, ah, I finally see what was happening and why that happened to me. It finally makes sense now why I was going through what I was going through. Hopefully it doesn't take 700 years to get to that place. Have you seen that? Have you experienced that in your life where you said, I see how you were working and I praise you for what you did? I hope you have. Back to verse 11 on Coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Worshipped proskuneo, if you remember from our worship series that we just did. They bowed down. They fell prostrate and worshipped him on the ground. 
This child would have been somewhere between being born and the age of two years old. They're no longer in the manger when the wise men or the magi finally get to them. They're in some home. But the magi come face to face with Jesus, and they recognize that they're in the presence of a king. They saw worship as a verb, right? And they connected their bowing down with the giving of gifts. Then they opened their treasures. Notice they didn't just bring any gift, right? They opened their treasures and presented this boy with them with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Treasures fit for a king. When is the last time you opened your treasures and laid them down at the feet of our king. I'm good at giving gifts. I'm good at giving what's comfortable, what's easy, what doesn't cost, what doesn't take a sacrifice. But when's the last time you sacrificed? When's the last time you took your treasure, what you treasure the most in this life, and laid it down before him and said, use it? Whatever you want, Lord, it's yours, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh, not your normal gifts today. I don't think anybody would turn down gold. Ladies, you probably would like frankincense or myrrh. We probably wouldn't bring them to a party for a one-year-old, though. We know these gifts, though, were traditionally gifts meant for a king, and they carry a lot of symbolic meaning. The gold symbolizes He's a king, right? The frankincense was used in worship as an incense in the temple. It was added to offerings that were given. (coughs) That signified that this boy would be our high priest. And he'd be an offering. Myrrh, what was myrrh all about? Myrrh in this time was primarily used as a spice uh, in burial. In places of decay, right, it was added as this overwhelming fragrance to cover death. It was a gift that would foreshadow that this king would die one day, that his mission was to die. We see this in John's gospel. He tells us about the death of Jesus in John 19.28, later knowing that everything had now been finished, And so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I I hope that when you're reading the Bible and you see that phrase, so that scripture will be fulfilled, that you see one of those arcs in that drawing that I showed you that we had up. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was a day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the leg of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. 
These things happened so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another Scripture says, they will look on the one that they have pierced. Notice again, so that Scripture will be fulfilled. What Scripture? <coughs> Exodus twelve forty six and Numbers nine twelve. Speak to the Passover lamb and a commandment not to break any bones. Psalm 34, 20 says, He will protect all their borns, not one shall be broken. Zechariah 12, 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Back to 1938. Just a hard one. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus that night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen that was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in that garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid. But it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus Jesus there. (laughs) The Magi's gift of myrrh would foreshadow Jesus' destiny and what he came to do. Jesus' death defeated death, both spiritual death, that is our separation from God, and the physical death, which we're all going to face at the end of time. He hung on the cross, right, and was pierced to defeat death. This is the life of the one that we celebrate this season. Because of what Jesus did, no one needs to spend another day spiritually separated from God. No one needs to fear the end of our journey because he defeated sin and death by being pierced for you. That's what, the Isaiah, that's what Isaiah prophesied 700 years before. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. What's the gospel? It's simple. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jesus pierced 
and crushed becomes the sacrifice that brings us peace. 700 years, though, when this was spoken, there was no piercing, no crushing. But finally, there comes a time when Jesus comes, and instead of breaking his legs, right, one of the soldiers just happens to pierce his side, bringing a flood of blood and water. The Magi's gift of myrrh would foreshadow this, but there's deeper meaning in this gift. Myrrh comes for the Comifera tree. This is what it looks like. A thorny tree, you can't tell that from that picture. Does that come as any surprise? It grows in the Arabian Peninsula, parts of Africa and India. It's obviously a a desert tree. Not super beautiful, a little bit aggressive if you look at it, right? Not very approachable because of those thorns. When its bark is pierced, and that's the word that I found that they used, right? And emits its sap. The sap that flows out, as you can see, onto the bark in those red drops, they're called tears. The tears harden into an even darker reddish color. This is myrrh. Myrrh, besides its covering of the stench of death, right, was also used as an antiseptic. It was used to heal. It was used to cleanse wounds. In Jesus' time, Myrrh was one of the most powerful healing agents that you could find. And it could be grounded into an incense and turned into a very aromatic perfume. So get this. The camiphora tree, crowned with thorns, is pierced and bleeds a healing, death-overcoming crimson flow. Is this just random chance that Jesus would get this gift when he was born? I think not, right? This Christmas, I hope we see the big picture of myrrh. The birth of Christ is this great healing for the wound of sin, and it's the death or the covering of death, right? In the next chapter of John, we would see the empty tomb. Death has been defeated. That's an amazing message overall that myrrh points to. I want some of you to notice, though, a more personal message today in the myrrh. I told you that when that myrrh is pierced, that tree is pierced, that the myrrh comes out in the shape of a tear, right? We, who are followers of Christ, know death has been defeated. We know that, right? But when we lose somebody that we care about, there's still grief and there are still tears. In Christ, you can experience the healing power, the death-covering power that myrrh points to, but you can also see the tears, and that's okay. There's no contradiction today to believe that death has been defeated, but still grieve because that person is no longer with us, right? It's not a lack of faith. Instead, tears just authenticate our love. The myrrh tears bring healing. So if you're coming to Christmas with an empty seat at your table this season, and you're feeling totally undone by the grief of it all. God is not saying to you, hey, death has been defeated, get over it. He's saying, I shed a tear with you. I was pierced for you. Do you remember when Jesus' good friend Lazarus died? Jesus knew he would raise him from the dead that very day. And yet we know that he still shed tears 
when talking to his sister. Some of you may be coming into this season and you're struggling because you're still in this grief or you're still in this deeper grief than you think is acceptable, right? Or maybe you're still being surprised by grief in in new ways that you didn't expect. Hear me today. It's okay, right? It's okay. A passage that I use in some funerals is found in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, and it says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. This passage goes on to talk about people when they die and Jesus meeting them, right? But it ends with this, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. These verses aren't saying don't grieve. No, these verses are saying don't grieve like the rest of mankind, like those who have no hope. Oh, we'll have grief, right? But we also have the hope because Jesus defeated sin and death. Listen to this passage in Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. My friends, the myrrh is telling us today that Jesus had defeated sin and death. The myrrh is telling us that today God shares in the loss of your loved ones. Be reminded, though, that one day the tears will be wiped away. The last thing I want you to see uh, when you look at the myrrh and these other gifts is that God is going to bring whatever you need whenever you need it in your story. Going back to the story of the Magi, the last thing we read is this. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When Herod would realize that the Magi didn't come back, he tried to protect his kingdom from this new king. And you know the story of what he did. He issues this edict, and, and every child, every male child in this area under the age of two would be put to death. And so Mary and Joseph have to flee They were warned, and they go down to Egypt. Here, they have no means, though, right? We know they aren't wealthy. We know that they don't have a lot of money to just throw around because we read this in Luke 2, verse 22. It says this, When the time for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, him being Jesus. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So the time has come for Jesus to be dedicated. Mary and Joseph take him and bring a pair of doves or pigeons. In Leviticus 12, though, you are called to bring a lamb to dedicate a firstborn son. If you couldn't afford the lamb, then you could bring two doves or two pigeons. This couple didn't have a lot of money, right? And now they're on the run in a strange land. But do you see God's hand in the gift 
of gold. That gold would, that was brought by the Magi's would be a resource that they could use to survive. Also on the run in this foreign land, there would be no place to worship. Thank God, though, that they had the gift of frankincense. This special incense is what God ordained to be used and offered continually in the temple so they could create an altar and offer the same incense to worship God with. In Exodus, there was myrrh and anointing oil. Good thing they had some of that, right, as well. Thank God when that kid, Jesus, scraped his knee or ran through that briar bush or bust his elbow open, thank God they had this myrrh to cleanse the wound and speed up the healing. God provided. Side note, in the account of Esther, the women were brought, who were brought to the king went through six months of beauty treatment where they were, ordained, were um, adorned with oil of myrrh. So Mary might have been thankful for this myrrh as well. Today, though, I want you to ask yourself, these gifts that the Magi brought, are they just coincidence or God's providence? Ask yourself, do you just see 63,779 lines in that picture or 63,779 promises kept? I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you think about God. I just know that we serve a God that keeps his promises. You might be at the beginning of one of those arcs, though. You might be in that season, and it might not make sense to you. But if you trust him, you'll see the other end of that arc one day, and it'll make sense then. I believe it. I, I've been coming to think <clears throat> of myself with this picture in mind. When things start happening in ministry or things don't seem to be going the way I think they should go, I just think to myself, I'm at the beginning of one of those arcs, and he's got a plan that I don't see, and I'm going to trust him until I get to the other side of that arc. My friends, we were created to walk and talk face-to-face with God. Could you imagine that? We rejected that. And God didn't say, forget you guys, right? A plan was in place to repair that. That plan, Jesus coming to the earth, is the best line in there. I'm not sure where it's at. It's probably in multiple places. But that's the greatest gift we could be ever given. And that's what we remember today in this season. That's what we celebrate, right? God making a way for what we rejected to be restored for all those who accept it. Would you stand with me? Don't miss the ark. Don't miss the arcs in your life. Don't miss the cross connections in your life. Like I said, you might not see it. You might not get it today. But trust the one who holds you in his hands. Trust what he's doing through these things. Trust the one 
because he died for you. Trust the promises that you've been given in this book. He's faithful and true. No matter what you're going through, I know some of you are going through some times that you are wondering what in the world is happening. But put your faith in him. Worship the king, knowing what he can do. Trust him with that. Amen? Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you'd be with each and every person in the season that they're in, Lord. I know some people are in stages where they're at the start of the ark. They don't see an ending. They don't see a way out. They don't see a a way for a mountain to be moved. But Father, I pray that in this season that they would worship you and give you praise in advance for what you are doing, putting their faith and trust in you, Lord, to see a way through this. And Father, I pray that you would bring them through this season, that you would use this season to strengthen their faith, Lord, and grow it. Father, I pray for, again, those who have experienced loss, those whose hearts are heavy, those who are weary. Lord, I pray that they would find rest in you. Father, may we, as their family, reach out to them and help them as well. Father, lay somebody on our heart to do that with this very day. Lord, again, we thank you for sending your son. Jesus, we thank you for willingly laying down your life, Lord. And we give you all honor and praise for that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas.